If you have um, a Bible with you, uh, could you turn to uh, Luke chapter 15? Uh, Luke chapter 15 has got three parables in it, and uh, for many of you, they will be uh, parables that you are very familiar with, that uh, speak to you uh, and have spoken to you in the past. And it's my prayer uh, this morning that we will be able to um, really understand these in a new and a fresh way. The passage... Hello? Hello? Yeah. Uh, the passage starts like this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we have a situation where there are some tax collectors and sinners, people who are not part of the mainstream Uh, They are people who have been disregarded, who have done wrong in the eyes of the religious elite. And they were all gathering around to hear from this man called Jesus. And then there was also some Pharisees and the teachers were also there. And the teachers of the law muttered under their breath about Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Eating in the first century was something that was a public act. It was something that was done by the people out in the streets where the people could see what was going on. It was a social interaction, but it was also a political uh, act as well. And when you ate, and the people that you ate with really showed who you were. It showed your class. It showed uh, what it was that you were about. And so for Jesus to be eating with the sinners and the tax collectors was this powerful image that this wasn't the kind of person who is going to eat with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's going to go to the margins. And so in and of itself, Eating with the sinners was this act that said, look, I am here for the people on the margins. See, when you ate with people, what the Pharisees said was that if you ate with the right people, then you were clean. But if you ate with the wrong people, then you were unclean. And those people who were the unclean were the sinners and the tax collectors. And so for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, when they saw him doing this, they were like, you are not following the script. You are not following the conventional wisdom of our time. What you are doing is that you are going to the people who are unclean. This is what Jesus was doing. He was there. The tax collectors and the sinners all gathered around them. And then the Pharisees and the teachers were also there And they were making their underhand statements about who Jesus was. And then Jesus tells these three parables. And it starts like this. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? 
And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus starts off with three parables and he starts off with this one about sheep and he says this suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them to be a shepherd was to be someone who did a job that was unclean the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had a hierarchy of jobs that you could do Some that were classed as clean and then others that were classed as unclean. And to be a shepherd was an unclean job. So there are these tax collectors and sinners and then there's the Pharisees and the teachers and they're all here and they're all hearing this parable. And he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. What do you think the Pharisees and the teachers are thinking? I have no idea what that might be like because that is an unclean job. That job is below me. If we were to take this parable and put it into modern day context, what would be that person? Suppose one of you was working as the chief executive of Wonga and a couple of your staff went off on the sick. Or suppose you were someone who did the most dirty job around and one of your staff went off on the way and they they were lost. This statement alone would have really freaked out the Pharisees and the teachers. They were thinking that what this Jesus is a person who goes and he has dinner with these people and then he comes and he says this suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them they have no idea how that is but for the sinners and for the tax collectors they might have more of an idea of what it is he then says doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes back. And when he goes home, he gets his neighbors together and he has a party. Jesus brings this parable, this idea into a context where there's two groups of people. And he says to them, suppose you are a shepherd and one of your sheep has gone away. What do you do in that situation? And he says that he goes to find that one sheep. He leaves the 99 and he goes and he gets it. And that sheep, that poor sheep that has been lost, is out in the middle of nowhere, would have been in so much shock. It would have been frozen still. And the shepherd comes and puts it onto his back and starts to walk at home. He celebrates when he finds it. He then puts it onto his back, and then he goes back, and then there is a second celebration with all of his neighbors. 
The shepherd is the person who goes and he is able not to only to find it, but in putting it onto his shoulder is doing an act of restoring that sheep back into the flock. It then goes on to say this. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The word sinner and the word repent aren't really words that we often speak about in our modern day culture. But to be a sinner is to be someone who is cut off from God. Someone who is doing things that aren't in keeping with who God is and what his character is. And the word repent has lots of different meanings. But in the Hebrew, the word repent is the word teshuva. And teshuva gives this idea of turning. It is this idea of turning 180 degrees and going back towards. So the shepherd goes out, he finds that sheep. And the sheep doesn't do anything. It is just willing to be found. He puts it on his back. He does a turn back towards where the other 99 are. The sinner is someone who has gone away, is separated from God, and he repents, he turns to go back to who the rest of the people are. Then the story goes on. Jesus tells another parable. It says this, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel of, angels of God over one sinner who repents. The story is, is same, same, but different. It's, it's got the same ideas going on, but it's just a, a different story. But listen to who it is that the person is. Or suppose a woman. So we've had, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. Suppose one of you is a shepherd, someone who is unclean. Or suppose that you are a woman, someone who is a second-class citizen in the first century. Or suppose you are a woman. Suppose you are someone who is also on the margins. Jesus is getting over this idea that he welcomes the sinners and eats with them. He goes to the margins, he goes to the people who are on the edges and he is willing to sit and eat with them. He's willing to sit and eat with the shepherd as he is willing to eat with the woman. And then Jesus tells this third parable. It says this, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. 
after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen so that the country uh, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger And sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine has been dead and now is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? Your brother has come back, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answers his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes coming, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and Now he is found. In the first century, it was a patriarchal society and the older son would always get more of the share of the property when the father died. And so he was probably looking forward to that day where he would get his share. But then the younger son comes along and he asks for some of, of his inheritance. He wants it now. And so not only was this one of the most offensive things that anyone could do, because basically what the younger son was saying to his father was, I wish that you were dead. And so he does this, but then the father does this miraculous thing and he grants that he can have it. But imagine that you are the older son in taking some of that inheritance, the inheritance that was given to the younger son, meant that the earning potential of the whole estate was much reduced. So for that older son, he was put in a position where he was losing out even more. And he was raging at this. He was raging at what was going to happen. He was raging that he wasn't going to get what he was given. 
This parable is often known as the lost son, but in many ways it's the lost sons because both of them are separated from the father. The younger son is separated from the father because he has gone away and he has taken everything and he has squandered it all. But the older son is also disconnected from the father because he thinks that what the father wants is for him to always do good and that that good would get him a better place in his eyes. It's almost like he sees that the, the father has a scorecard and everything that he does well, he is keeping a check of it. I don't know if any of you have ever played crazy golf, but if you've played crazy golf before, and you have that wee score card going on and you get that hole in the one and you put down your one and then you go to the next one and you get it in two and the other person gets it in three and then you're up and you think that is going to get you to be the winner. But in the eyes of what Jesus is saying in this is that the father doesn't have a scorecard. And he says to the older son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You have been at the party the whole time. You have been at the party the whole time. So why does Jesus have these three parables? We often look at them separately, but is there things that unite them, things that bring them together? And I think there are some things for us to reflect on. So what unites these parables? All three things already belong. All three things already belong. And these things have been lost. And the whole energy of all the stories is that it is about a rescuing, a receiving, a welcoming, a restoring of that which is lost. What did the sheep do? Nothing. It was just willing to be found. What did the coin do? Nothing. What did the son do? Well, he started to to come back but what he wanted to come back was was in a lower position in a nothing position and it wasn't until it was when he was far away the father saw him and he started running towards him and said you can be a son the stories turn on the nothingness of the son or the coin or the sheep It is about the shepherd and the woman and the father all pursuing and going after and welcoming and restoring back the things that already belong, the things that already belong. We can often think of our faith as a transactional uh, way of thinking. If you do A, then you will get B. If you try harder and do things better, if you read your Bible more, if you do things that you think God will do, then that will make you better. But what these stories teach us 
is that they turn on the nothingness of the son and the coin and the sheep. And it is ultimately about the shepherd and the woman and the father all pursuing that which has been lost. We think if we try harder, if we do things more, that then that will put us better, that we have a scorecard and that God is keeping score of the things that we do. But this is not what we see in these parables. What we see is that the God figure is the one who pursues us. And he says to the people who have been found already, the person who has been there is with them. Stop trying to pursue a transactional relationship if you do more, if you do more of who you think God wants you to be. Because you are already at the party. You are already there. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. That word repent, we said that the Hebrew word is the word teshuva. But the Greek word, which is written in, in this, this parable, in its original, original context, is the word metanoia. And metanoia is um, two, two words, and it's change and think. And what repent means is that you have to change your thinking. You need to change your thinking. You need to change this idea that you have to do more in order to get God's love. Because you already belong. And you need to recognize that at points where in your life that you think that in doing more that God will love you more. You're already at the party. You already belong. We need to change our thinking. We need to recognize that we are people who are deeply loved by God. We already belong. We already belong. There is nothing more that we can do. We just have to have a willingness to be found. Yes, there are times where trying harder and doing things come about, but we don't do them in order to get better in our scorecard. It is out of our love for God that we do them. If you have been stuck in that trap of thinking that that God is punishing you or that God doesn't love you enough or that you have to do more in order for God to love you, then it is wrong. You need to change your thinking and recognize that you already belong and you are already at the party. Um, I'm going to invite Dan to come up um, and Dan is going to sing a song um, and the song is, is called Reckless Love. And the song is about God's pursuit of us. And it is my prayer that as we move into 2018, as we go forward as a church, that this song becomes almost our prayer for 2018. That it becomes the idea of who we are, that we already belong And that we can go to the margins, to the people who feel like they are the outcasts and say, you belong. And for us who perhaps have been there, that you are already at the party. That you are already here and everything that I have is yours. So just listen to Dan singing this song and then we'll close in prayer.